1988. And um, I, that was kind of like after it was a long dream of mine um, since I was 12 to actually be a medical missionary, but kind of life happened and I didn't get around to it till I was 41. But um, in the meantime, I guess um, the reason I'm, I actually even had that dream was that I was the a student of 12 years of Catholic education where I, the most salient message that I took away from that was that we are our brother's keeper and that um, the fact that our souls came down the chute here in the United States of America was a great gift to us, plus whatever individual gifts we might have, and that it is our obligation to share with others what gifts we might have just happened to have, what we had the luck to have. And so when I, um, and I read about um, Tom Dooley and uh, Albert Schweitzer when I was 12, and I thought, you know, the way I was pretty good at school and I, I like science, so I thought the way to really do this is to be a doctor. So I spent a lot of time and effort um, to become a doctor. I got married, I had children, and I had a successful inner city um, practice um, with 50% Medicaid patients. But one day my children came home from school, um, a private school, and they said, how come we don't have this? How come we don't have that? How come we don't have the other thing? And they were 11 and, and 14. And I thought, you know, I said to them, well, you have more than 99.9% .9 of the people in the world, so get a grip. And of course they rolled their eyes and were unconvinced. And I thought, you know, this would be a good time for me to become a medical missionary. <laughs> so we signed up with a group from uh, St. Louis, the Haiti mission. We went to Haiti in 1988, our, my husband and I and our two children. And we were shocked, horrified, and um, forever changed by the need there and the lack of anything really to provide for these people who were you know, dying on the street, dying in Mother Teresa's home for dying children, Mother Teresa's home for dying adults needlessly, really. I mean, if you were a doctor, you could figure out if you only had this, if you only had that, you could fix them. Um, but they were not fixable in a situation that uh, Haiti found itself in. There just were no resources. And we went, part of that visit was a trip up the mountain on donkeys and horses with whatever medicine we could take. And we got to the top and they had built a little uh, concrete building for the clinic. And the um, leader had said, if you build it, they will come. And he had spent the last couple of years trying to find a couple of doctors to come. And it was me and a pathologist from St. Louis. And um, the first day, 300 people showed up at dawn. They had walked all night to see a doctor. It was their first time they'd ever seen a doctor. And they had got awful things that we were not prepared to deal with. Um, we could recognize our, we had a few medicines, we had a few things we could do. We knew kind of what they needed and who they need to see, but there was no way, there was no cardiologist, there was no surgeon, there was no gastroenterologist, there was no neurologist, there was no nothing really. So um, after three days of seeing such people, um, <clears throat> which was of course very upsetting for a American trained uh, physician, um, I went home and thinking that if I could do something, I should do something. So I hooked up with this Methodist church group in um, 
uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, who ran, who dug wells, built churches, built schools, and ran little clinics. And I went with them to Haiti for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And and on those visits, one or two or three or four times a year, I took my vacation. I went there, and um, we gave medicine to kids who were sick. But really, they were sick because they were immune deficient from being malnourished. And the little bit of medicine we gave them did not really address that issue so that you would come back the next time and these kids who are regularly in the village would be sick again or they would have died in the meantime of some overwhelming infection with pneumonia or diarrhea or dehydration or you know pick one and so after 15 years of being a village clinic pediatrician volunteer I thought, you know, this is really like spitting in the ocean. We're not really addressing the underlying problem, which is malnutrition, and nor was anyone in the country. And up until then, there had been this World Health Organization um, protocol for treating malnutrition, and it required a hospital and doctors and a month and money. And in that time, at the end of the month, 50% of the kids were no change, 25% had died, and 25% were improved. Well, of course, these are poor people. The reason that their kids are malnourished is they don't have any food, and they don't have any food because they don't have any money, and they don't have any money because they don't have a job. And so, you know, the there was a new paradigm that my colleague at Washington University, Mark Maneri, and Andre Briand from um, France were coming up with, which was outpatient therapy. So peanuts, powdered milk, sugar, oil, vitamins and minerals all mixed together. You give it to the parent. They, You tell them how much to give their child, basically double their daily caloric intake, come back in a week. And it was miraculous. So we started making this with a little hand grinder and we bought all the products that we needed on the street in Capation. We took it to a guy who had a grinder on the street, but it was quite unsanitary. So that we quickly got a hand grinder from um, a group in uh, Minneapolis that of engineers who make products for the for food in the third world. And um, and then we that we got a rotary grant um, for eleven thousand seven hundred dollars in two thousand and three, and we started making this stuff. And we made a hundred kilos a month, and we cured ten kids a month. And at the end of a year, we cured one hundred and twenty kids. And then we got some more grants. We got some. We got a board. We got a five hundred one c three and. Now we have, with a partnership with UNICEF, saved over 650,000 children around the world. Most of those are in Haiti, but they are also in 17 other countries, and we export to UNICEF. So it's been an organic process involving many, many volunteers and lots and lots of generous people, and um, uh, a loan from Liechtenstein Venture for philanthropy uh, for $750,000 to uh, build the factory, which opened in 2012. And Chris joined us in 2014 for five years, and he really was, had a vision for how we could get to the point that we are today. We could renovate, we could add capacity, we could set in place management systems that were kind of loosey-goosey until that point. And, um, and he really set us on the path to success. So, but 
three years ago, he decided he and his wife had to come back to America to adopt children. And now he's rejoined us and is helping us uh, set the pace and set the stage for this new um, way, uh, this bigger and better way of treating malnutrition in the world. And you may or may not know that um, in the last three years in the world, malnutrition has in tripled in most places and sometimes increased by five times in other places. So that the Gates Foundation, for the first time ever, who is they have never treated malnutrition before because they don't believe in giving a man a fish. They believe in teaching someone how to fish, right? But the, uh, the alarming increase in malnutrition in the world, which is causing us to have a lost generation of children, um, er, inspired the Gates Foundation to give a, a huge chunk of money and USAID to follow suit. And UNICEF has this big push in the next 18 months to treat malnutrition like they've never treated before everywhere. But there's not enough capacity in the world currently to manufacture the product that is needed, the ready-to-use therapeutic food, which peanuts, powdered milk, sugar, oil, vitamins, and minerals that is used most efficiently to do this. And so they've asked us to increase our capacity to its max. Our problem is that we don't have cash flow to be able to do that. So overnight, we are expected to go from selling product for $3 million a year to selling product to UNICEF for $11 million a year, and we need to prime the pump. And so we're here today to see in what way um, some or all of you can help us to do that. And I would now like to, to turn over to Chris so he can tell you his kind of spiritual journey that that addicted him to Haiti <laughs> and the mission of Haiti and MFK and um, and how he sees our future and our current needs. 